Welcome to Show of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. Me llamo es Patrick Green. Hola. And I'm just Peter from the Midwest. Es la verdad. Peter from the Midwest. Welcome. Welcome. Today we are here to give a full and well-rounded review and a, and a uh, how do you say this, uh, a send-off to... 2021 and a welcome into 2022 so we're doing a bunch of things but primarily we're here to review the first seven episodes of blade runner black lotus and we've all been watching it patrick of course watched everything today (laughs) not everything but a lot of it i I caught up quite a bit today (laughs) you're all watching it like in two minutes um but yeah i'm excited to talk about this i know it's been divisive i know we have a lot to say honestly phantom isn't really talking about this show in the groups, like no one's talking about the show. Um, but we, as the only Blade Runner podcast in our own way, the hub of Blade Runner fandom, we felt like we needed to discuss it. There are worthy things to discuss. So here we are. I uh, have some late breaking news for you, listeners for and dear friends. Oh. I'm fucking into it. No, you're I am fucking into it. He's Episode lying. six He's and lying. seven won me over, and I am enjoying it right now. And I'm not going to be postponing it. The reason why I postponed it was because after the first two episodes, I was in a pretty bad mood, as was evidenced by the recording we did. And I was sort of like, you know, avoiding doing that to myself again. And I started watching the third one, and I was like, oh, I'm still feeling kind of cranky about it. So I, I stopped, and I took a few weeks, you know, a month or so off of watching it entirely. Of course, in that interim time it's the holiday season you know the weekends are very busy so i'm falling behind just on entertainment anyway but uh, black lotus was not a top priority for me because i knew we would be getting around to it so i would have time to catch up but also because i wasn't really looking forward to it and i gotta say you know i went through episode three and i was similarly just feeling really disconnected from it and episode four and episode five and i was like man i am just not going to enjoy the series and then episode six clicked for me quite hard uh and episode seven Although I have, you know, it's, it's I'm saying this like I don't have any qualms with it. I obviously still have qualms with it, but for as a story, I actually feel engaged in it now, and I feel really grateful for that. Like I, I'm, I'm excited to see episode eight when it comes out. What about you, Peter? Yeah, I would, I'd say the same thing. I think a lot of it goes to I think um, I chose to watch it in chunks, and I think that goes to what we were talking about in our first episode about sort of learning to watch this. And I just can't do one episode at a time. It's not enough time in the, uh, in the episode, in the world. It's not enough time to sort of let it breathe and even just feel what I think about it. Most of the time, especially the, you know, what you're mentioning three and four, which I wasn't really into um, the fact that they're over in a second. If you watch them just by themselves, it, it just doesn't give you enough time. So I watched five, six, and seven all as a group and enjoy that experience much more. And mainly for the same reasons, um, the last couple really pick up as well. And we can get into why and stuff, but just in general, I think you're right. I think there, it might be, I don't know if it's catching stride. I don't know if it's the individual writers of what episodes, but that's what we'll kind of jump into. I mean, I would agree that episode six really picked it up for me um, for sure. And after it was over, I was like, wow, this was, this felt like a Blade Runner show. This was, I mean, did, do I think it was great? No, it just felt better. It, it just felt more congruous. It felt more familiar in terms of its atmosphere and uh, where the story was going and the tone it set. I, 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 I'm fully on board that. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, episode, I mean, we can talk about the story in general. Episode seven, I don't feel is as good as episode six, but it still keeps up that tone that I think was, is, was important. And that was very important in episode six. Um, but it drops the ball in a, in a few ways, but in general, and I'm not saying like, 
oh, I'm on board now. But I will say it was a decided shift in, within me when I saw episode six and it was over. I was like, okay, I'm here. I'll keep watching. And for me, it was the only thing that I've watched twice so far, which I've actually seen like two and a half times, which is a lot given the fact that I was cramming like four episodes today, which was the the climax of episode six, where you have the, this Blade Runner, who in the English version is voiced by Josh Duomo, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, you have this 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 actual like Blade Runner proper character, Marlo, come in uh, and if, and he, you know, and L have the standoff, of course. And then there's also uh, the, the LAPD officer, Alani Davis, is in this scene and you have the police chief and you have his wife and you have like all of these things that sort of coalesce. And for me, it felt like a lot of the story strands that had been just sort of free floating in, in my you know reception of it met for the first time and i was like oh shit i actually care about them in the context of each other quite a bit and marlo's entrance is like truly fucking amazing when he comes when like when they're having that standoff that's going on for a long time and then all of a sudden the spinner comes in the window that's like fucking awesome yeah it is and they have that great showdown fight sequence and you get to see a proper Blade Runner fight sequence, which like, you know, the whole time with all the katana, you know, the kung fu or, you know, the whatever combat style she's using felt out of place to me, although it was fun to watch. I was, you know, I was even texting you guys. I was like, oh, man, there's like another like karate sequence right now. That karate, you know, style. And of course, I'm butchering whatever martial art it actually is. And I apologize to our listeners who know better than I do. But her martial art style now juxtaposed with the Blade Runner's combat style it like locked for me. I was like, Oh, I, I can see the bridge between these two aesthetics. And I really enjoyed it. Um, the real sense of danger there towards the end of that episode where we have the explosion, we have L falling out of the skyscraper. It's really stunning, I think. And then um, she has this great moment afterwards where she's like, I did what I was trying to do. Or I guess it's episode seven. She's like, you know, I I've done it. Like I found the truth as far as I can tell, why am I not satisfied to me that, that, was very, very interesting. And I'm really excited to see where it goes. And I do want to say about episode seven, I I have to push back a little bit. Uh, although I guess you're saying this too, so I agree with you. I think that although it might not be quite as like dynamically interesting as six was from a story standpoint, I finally cared about L in a deeper way for some reason with this whole idea of you know, the memories that were implanted into her are not the only memories in her. Like there is something else going on. That to me felt really interesting. You know, I, I find that's like all of a sudden, all of those kind of corny moments by the poolside felt significant to me. I was like something, there is something to this. So, so like right now, as of tonight, having seen seven episodes of it, uh, I'm like very excited to see the next one personally. Also, I want to say the stuff about memory, which I know Peter has been kind enough to transcribe for us and we can talk quite a bit about. I, like I was I was kind of ready to crap on that just in my sort of angry nerdiness a little bit. And as it was happening, I was like, no, I feel like they're doing an actual uh like they're they're treating this appropriately. This this idea of, you know, they give us some background into why memories are implanted, which of course we already know, but they talk about that a little bit. They talk about why the artificial memories are supposed to be hazy to make it harder for the replicants because they don't they're never going to forget those memories that they have to be a little bit out of focus, right? Like a real memory would be. To me, that's that's just really interesting. The color grading of the memories is different. They address that. And the doll hunt. Which you know, to this point, I thought was just so stupid. Personally, um, doesn't seem as stupid anymore. You know, like it, it's something that I guess. First off, in an earlier episode, they're talking about why they were doing it, and that was the first step for me getting to appreciate it a little bit. Which is the fact that animals are extinct. You know, synthetic animals are too expensive to hunt, but replicants, because they're mass manufactured, are actually cheaper to hunt. And it's you know very fucked up, but it would make sense to me why a bunch of rich people would be hunting essentially humans in that context, right? And not seeing anything wrong with it because they dehumanized them so much. So that started to feel more interesting to me as opposed to just, you know, basically a hostile situation, you know, like the Eli Roth hostel. Um, although of course, ultimately it is similar to that. The reason, the way they get there is different. So that was, that made it more interesting to me, but also this idea of what actually happened with, you know, the Wallaces, why, what was going on behind that. And it puts this in the context of the Nexus 9, which to me is where I, I think the story is headed because we have Nexus 8s at this point, right? Nexus 8s were developed post-blackout and Nexus 8s are the Sapper Mortons that we see you know, in 2049. But we do have Nexus 9s in development with these behavioral inhibitors. And we have L, who seems to be similar perhaps to Rachel in that she's sort of a bridge of some kind between replicant generations or something 
uh, that she, you know, something was tinkered with within her and changed her fundamentally, which I think is really cool. I like that she's like kind of an anomaly. Uh, and I did not anticipate this tone tonight. Like I was groaning about this for much of the day. I was seriously groaning about it, you know, and Micah would walk, would walk by and she'd be like, how are you feeling? And I'm sitting there folding laundry. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to do this episode tonight to talk about this show anymore. And so I'm so, as surprised as you probably are listening to me that I feel this excited about it, but I like genuinely like the show now. I'm really excited about it. I sort of had a, a swap, I guess, juxtaposed six and seven. I thought six was really interesting and sort of, had the series started with that type of action and that type of tone, I think that would have been an excellent start. I still didn't think it quite grabbed me um, like Seven did for me, simply because the concepts and sort of the, the things that I enjoy from Blade Runner weren't there. It was a lot of cool action, which was awesome. And they did a lot of great scenes. I put, um, like you said, the, the spinner work, the, 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 the movement of the Blade Runner Marlowe. I thought some of that was cool. I don't, I'm still having some problems with the character rendering and just the character designs. He seems very, I don't know what you would think, you know, what maybe like, ah, I don't want to degrade it too much, but essentially, you know, what, like if you were a teenager and thought a Blade Runner would look cool is sort of how I think he was dressed. It was a little too just, I don't know, too generic, too trench coaty. It would have been nice to see a Blade Runner dressed in some other garb than just sort of the generic um, sort of prototype. Um, but again, seven is where it hit for me, particularly as you sort of previewed um, the discussions of the memories. And I think that's where I really wanted this to go. And at the same time, I enjoy the fact that I'm sort of fighting with myself in my head regarding episode seven and how they're addressing and where I think it's going to go. But that's the fun part is where it's sort of, it's starting to go somewhere that is really interesting and it's almost uh, interesting. And I really hope they walk some of those lines and some of those I'll discuss. So the memory part that I really enjoyed is the fact, as you said, Patrick, that they're taught talking about how there's something going on with L regarding it almost appears as if a, a regeneration or a more human uh, dealing with memory. It's there's been imp from what we can gather from the, <laughs> I like Jamie's prior green room description from the, you know, sort of the LA twerp um, that he talked about that he inserted certain memories and those memories are typically clear and like, Patrick, you said and commented on that, but yet you make them hazy. But I like that somehow L's mind, although created, is somehow addressing those created memories in a way that interprets them different than was intended. And I think that's a little bit different than the memory we see and memories from Dr. Staline um, from K. I think at least from my interpretations of 2049, uh, which I haven't rewatched since this, but it'd be interesting to kind of see some of that. But anyways, that's why this is cool because I'm starting to think like this and connect it now finally to the other movies, which is what's so exciting to me. But anyways, to sort of end this little rant is, um, it doesn't appear that Kay's memories were interpreted any different than they were created and implanted by Dr. Staline. And same with the other replicants. They all have the similar memory. And the reason is to sort of embed maybe, you know, this sort of way to sort of find yourself out of the replicant condition in a sense. Um, but here we have someone who has created a replicant prior to K and is interpreting memories in the more way a human would, which is the actual facts as you see them are different than perhaps they actually were. And that's what's just so interesting to me. And that just, that clicked it for me. I mean, six was good, but I was still, nah. But this memory development really clicked it. And then the part I'm struggling with though, is that, I mean, is this, <laughs> are we gonna find that Neander Wallace Jr., the junior I really have a problem with, um, 
but is he going to take his hood down and we're going to reveal he's a moose, a masseuse now as well. And, you know, is it Dr. Staline and Neander who's messing around with the memories, you know, to sort of hijack his dad's work. And I, I don't want that part, but I do want more from this memory. You know, to your points, I, I think that these ideas are great. I think the memory, the, the alteration of memory is a really interesting turn of events. And uh, at one point, though, they're saying, oh, they're looking at these other images like, well, I didn't give her these memories. I'm like, well, she's been alive a while. She's seeing things. She has her own memory. So it's kind of like, this is stupid. Like, of course, you didn't give her these memories. She's been doing them. She has memories now, you know, of things that she's done before. But I do like this idea of altering a memory because, Patrick, and you've mentioned this many times before, sometimes the way we remember something isn't the way that it happened. It's the way that we remember it happening in our perspective. And that's probably what's going on with Elle. I do think it's interesting. And I am interested in this story. I'm less interested in her, but I'm interested in to as to where they're going with her. That to me, I don't like, I don't, I haven't really invested emotionally in Elle. I think she's too divisive. I think a lot of her, a lot of uh, her, her architecture, the way she's presented and someone made a really good comment uh, um, in a really long comment. They're saying every fight she has, she wins. Um, so there's no real stakes for her, which is really true. Even the, the last big one, I mean, she fell out a window, but she got caught. She didn't, she hasn't really suffered at all. Whereas oftentimes, even in 2049, certainly in the original film, Kay and Deckard suffer. You see it. There are consequences for their actions. Whereas with Elder aren't, um, she's really powerful and she, she wins every fight she's in. So the, the stakes are pretty pretty low for her and i think that is problematic for sure um but i do think the the overriding themes are fascinating um but you have to kind of dig them and you have to excavate them a little bit but i actually think with episode six and seven they're coming more to the forefront it's less of like us digging through shit essentially um and like okay all right that's interesting or now it's like oh okay no there's more to love or more to keep our interest than there is to detract from us not liking the show, which I think is a good thing for sure. I think we want the show to be a success. It is certainly hard for me to not pick apart everything that I see in the show. Um, but six and seven made that a little bit easier at the same time. Uh, there are some major things that I have issues with and I think, and I discussed this in our green room, um, that Blade Runner is in the details as much as it is in the macro. You know, the the big story, the the characters are as important as the the little things happening on the street that Kay's walking down. Um, and in this show, a lot of those little things are ridiculous, like the, the neon signs that say pizza coffee hamburger and it's like come on like did you guys not do your homework did you just you just threw these signs up there and again all of this when blade runner is working it's because all of this is a symphony that's working beautifully and i don't even even with even with the show being better now uh with six and seven it's still not the symphony that's really playing well it's just playing better and uh, again, we'll see where it goes. The Neander bit in episode seven, really just like, I mean, he walks up to his, I, I was trying to figure out like, what are they even doing with this character? Like he walks up to his father. So Neander, he fixed the, the hunger problem, the famine problem. He did that by himself. He didn't do it with his father's help. Like, so I'm trying to like, and then he walks up to his father and his father's like, I'm shutting that program down. So his father has... I don't even really want to get that far into it. They're ruining him. They're ruining him. They're making, they're pulling back that veil. As I said before, and I'll say it again, Neander is a self-made man. Um, this whole father bullshit is, is just pedestrian. Um, and uh, they, they're ruining what makes him so great. His mystery is, you don't know where he's coming from when he speaks. And he still speaks the similar way that we, he does in 2049, some degree. I mean, they're trying, they're really trying hard. Um, but then you have the whole father bit 
And then, so like you said, his father's in this office and there's water everywhere, kind of hints at what it might look like in 2049. It's just, it's, it's just, I mean, that really, really pulled me right back out that whole sequence. And I just was, my question was, why is he even in this movie? Why, why is Neander Wallace in this movie? You don't need him in this movie. Elle could have her complete journey without this. You don't need this. You don't need to. I mean, maybe if they have a doll hunt, which I still think is problematic, there's been this blackout and, you know, the, the country or the world has, or now the city essentially has is suffering from all this and they're, they're suffering the consequences of all of these things, but you don't really know that you can't really tell life just seems normal. Um, and there was time enough to make a bunch of replicants to throw them in a desert to have people go hunting. It's just incongruous. It doesn't really fit. And I don't know if they're trying to like really make enough content for 13 episodes, but it just doesn't really work for me. It doesn't work. Um, now, I can accept the doll hunt and L's origins. No problem for sure. Even if it doesn't really work, I can, I can accept it. What I do not accept is Neander Wallace. I do not accept the way that they're presenting him. They are really, really, really um, messing with something that was perfect on its own. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't want to see him anymore. I don't want to see him anymore. I don't want to see his outfit, his haircut, his anything. I don't want to see his father. I don't want to see the Wallace towers. Leave them alone. But I don't know if that's going to happen. Unfortunately, the end of episode seven is about a 30 second shot of her looking at the Wallace headquarters. So I think we're probably going there. But also in that shot is a sign that just says drug. (laughs) So again, it's like these signs are so lazy for some reason. Uh, I agree 100% on Wallace. I think that's just like, it's just horrible. But I also think that we, it, it, I, it's not like it could not be made interesting. It's not like they, they, you know, we're only about halfway through right now. There's still time for them to do something with that that could potentially win, win me over. Um, but no, I, I definitely cringe when he's on the screen. And I think that, although I love Brian Cox and I love Wes Bentley too, you know, the English version, at least the English language version. Um, they're both just, the dialogue is just really cringy for me with all their interactions. They're expositional. Um, you know, with, with when he's, when Wallace senior is talking to Wallace jr. About the protein solution that he had, uh, which to, to be fair though, that was just Neander in the, in the official Blade Runner continuity timeline, you know, like in the entry on the Alcon, you know, materials, it says that Neander Wallace solved global hunger by this system of protein farming. So it was him. You know, it was him, junior or senior. Yeah, <laughs> it was true. him. But at the same time, you're trying to work out, well, how did he do this on his own if it's his father's company? He didn't yeah. do it on his own if it's his father's company. He didn't do it on his own. They've just retconned. They retconned it a little bit. And it's it's whatever the show is going to. It's going to, you know, we'll watch the next six episodes and it'll be over. And that'll be that. The devil is in the details and yeah, they're getting my, me wrong. I had a real problem for taking me out like when he is caught when the dad's calling him and on the phone it says neander wallace jr and you're just like oh god and he's not picking up his dad's calling you're just like give me a it's so cringy break. The, and that's my what boys, i really oh, good go go well just briefly so so you know my kids have been watching it with with me for for a lot of it uh and for the most part enjoying it and this, we've had some good conversations which i'll bring up but they don't like neander wallace jr either they keep being like, what's wrong with him? And they, they, they actually, they kept, and this is, there's nothing wrong with this, but they kept saying she the whole time. And I kept being like, actually, you know, he's, he's a boy in the, in the movie. Um, and they're like, why is he a girl in the show? And I was like, no, I don't think it's just, <laughs> he's just a, a boy with kind of a girly looking haircut, but you know, it's just, he's, it's still the same guy that, you know, from the movie. Um, they were like genuinely confused. And I'm bringing that up, not as a gender norm thing, but I'm bringing it up as uh, he's very different from the Neander Wallace in the film. Like he just seems like a completely different construct. And it's really distracting for those of us who really appreciate the character from the movie a lot. Peter, go ahead. No, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just exactly all of that. I mean, it, Neander Wallace is probably my favorite character in 2049, um, maybe next to Kay. And a lot of that is just his, like Jamie was said, he just comes from nowhere creates and saves the world in a sense and yet he's both good and bad and it's just essentially he's you know he's religious or godlike i don't know what the best moniker to put on him is but essentially he's just a force and he's always been there and he's 
there's just inflict afflictions and you know you still don't know what's going on but this it's just to have him be a kid and have him have solved this yet still answering to his dad have it just even having the junior it's just it's driving me insane and what i really hope is that their discussion regarding um you know that the color is off in the memories i hope it's not because neander has you know they're going to say he has some degenerative eye affliction and so his color is off and blood like it's just it's going down a path that i don't want to see i don't want to find out he's a palpatine um you know it's just stop that part don't go to staline don't bring some of these people into this world and like jamie said i think a lot of that could have been done without any neander in the story at all it could be a discussion regarding l's memories how they're working that there's designers it could give us those little flashes that say oh my god he's already starting to develop or hire these independent contractors just like in okay but then stop it don't go take us to one don't bring us to the training course you know the the online learning system where these kids are learning you know at community college how to build memories just don't go there guys please um so yeah, that's my big, big kind of gripe, but it's hitting stuff. We're talking here and yeah. it's fun, you know, just, and, uh, the, with the memory stuff though. I don't, again, I like the setup of it. I like the discussion of it. The guys in the lab coats are very like 1980. Oh, they're in lab coats and they're obviously incompetent. It's so incompetent that one of them takes a gun and he shoots the gun in this, in this, area where it hits the machine and all this get like right scientists or researchers the people who develop this type of technology as smart intelligent people not as these incompetent overweight scared individuals like they're just tropey and they blade runner is better than that it just really is definitely going to some prometheus level scientists by name only I was waiting for the for the other for the junior engineer to break his glasses and go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I do. I do like I I like what they're trying to do now. I I think we didn't to be just blunt about it. We didn't need the first four to five episodes of the story. I do like that they made an effort. I don't know if it's simply the writers passing the story to each other and someone being like, the doll hunt. I do like that. At least they tried to make it a little palatable by saying we had to put her in a uh, stress inducing situation to determine whether or not, you know, they can harm humans or they're docile or controllable, but to write it as a, you know, ice tea, the greatest, the dangerous hunter, you know, the most dangerous game. I I can't get over that storyline. I think in Blade Runner, it would be more of a put her through some sort of emotional traumatizing memory, you know, loss of a family member, loss of a child, loss of, you know, those are the things that are more sort of resonating in a Blade Runner, a mature thing, like give us some real trauma here that we have to now deal with and put her through, not simply a hunt with dune buggies in the desert. So I do like that they somehow try to, I think, justify just the mundaneness of a hunting, the most dangerous game type of situation. But for me, that part of the story, it's, it can't come back, but I do appreciate the effort and what they're trying to say. The other part I had recently, you know, not to spoil anything for anyone, but they probably watched it by now, but you know, there's some real black widow moments, the, you know, pull out a knife, but you can't touch him with it. You know, why would that even be part of the programming of the replicant? Wouldn't that thought just not even be able to enter the mind, not sort of a, I'm trying to almost stab you. So again, I don't want to get too down on it, but there's just some things that are just so like Jamie said, sort of pedestrian, but it's developing it's almost as if the show is maturing as we're watching it so you know again i I think they're on track but we'll see i think there's still going to be some big stumbles but i'm excited i'm excited and i have a um a prediction so let's talk about l and you know in the in the show stranger things l is short for 11 right so they call her l for el 11 l in this show is for the letter L. 
love the lotus no oh, love. For love and the per- the guy who is inscribing that lotus on her back is wallace this is a love she is a love prototype that's why she can kill that's why she I was can afraid hit. of this i was afraid of this that's where this is going she's the love prototype we'll find out <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think clearly what we're seeing is is that this whole thing is is about Wallace developing the next Nexus model, and we're seeing like, you know, these series of behavioral inhibitor experiments and, and things. That, that's you know, so the reason why in the desert they can start to strike, but they can't actually make contact is probably because he's developing this you know inhibitor chipset mm-hmm. or whatever it is that will lead eventually to the things we see Officer K doing. But um, you know, yeah. That being said, like I, I don't, I don't like it. It reminds me of Solo, the movie. It, it, it feels like we're just getting all this sort of unnecessary, very literal backstory to things, to the point where I could see something as corny as that being true. No offense, Jamie. The, 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 no, it, it is corny. It's it happening. Corny, yeah, it is. It, it's it, happening. It, it could, she is the love prototype. Yeah, that's, I, I, that's I, what I it is. Could totally see that, and I, I also one hundred because that's what these people. I, that's what I'm editing this. That's what happens. <laughs> Um, they think that why don't we write this this backstory on this character named Love? Um, but we're not gonna call her love, we're gonna make it a little bit, but it's it's a pulling up of the curtain. So we're seeing how love was made. That's what all of this is. I guarantee you. We'll find out. And if I and if I'm wrong, I'm happy happy to be wrong. I I'll give you both five dollars. <laughs> 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 uh, but I, I do think that there, you know, I, I have to say, for example, Peter, you're talking about when, uh, when that we first see the actual Blade Runner come out and he has a trench coat and everything. I love that. I think seeing that classic silhouette was actually really refreshing to me. It made me feel like sort of a homecoming. And especially now that we have origins, we know why they wear those coats in the first place and where that whole trope came from. Like there's story reasons behind it, you know, I oh, yeah, think, I, um, I'll definitely, I'll retract that. I'll retract that a bit. I think I was being a little extra harsh there because in the intro to the show itself, when the Blade Runner in the trench coat is walking down the thing, I get chills every get chills single too. time, mm-hmm. oh, every yeah. single time. So I think I was just being a little harsh and had probably, you know, so I'll, I'll backtrack that. Thank you for pointing that out. Patrick. You're welcome. Very, I think the intro, I also, think it's important to point that out too, you know, to say, Hey, okay, step back a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, because it's, it's easy for us to pile yes. on to things yes. because it's, it's a lot easier to get angry. I think than it is to give things, time to grow and to develop i think in general i'm not saying this is a judgment on any of us i'm just saying i think in general for people who spend a lot of time deeply embedded with this thinking about it all the time and dreaming about it all the time and loving it so much you know we feel very protective of it for valid reasons and i think sometimes that can manifest as us being cranky and not wanting to give things time to grow you know um i i 100 am assuming that that's wallace by the poolside Oh, and I hate that. You know, that's something that I think is really, really shitty. Uh, But I also am going to give them the rest of the run of this series, which is only half over to make me care about it again, because they did make me finally engage with the story with these most two most recent episodes. And who knows, they could do that again. I don't think any of us assumed, given how we were feeling after four and five, that we would start to care at all about it. And yet here we are having conversations about memory and conversations about things that feel interesting. So let's give it time, you know, let's, let's see where it goes and, and, and hope for the best. And that's okay if we're, if we're wrong and it does end up being garbage, but, but given the trajectory of the last two episodes, I don't think that's the the case. I do think that Wallace will continue to be problematic for all of us. I think that's something that we're probably not going to get over, even if it's not as literal as Jamie's love thing suggesting, you know, like, I think that there's a lot of other things that are just going to be, I mean, I, I hate I hate that he has a father in this and that his dad is trying to give him lessons. Like it's a fucking Christmas story, you know, when he's like, says, um, what does he say? Like innovation is nothing without business power or something. And I'm like, Oh, come on. He doesn't need to learn lessons about these. He's not like some, you know, this is not fucking catcher in the rye or something. We don't need this, this origin story for this, this kid. Yeah. Um, you know, he's elemental. And I think part of what's so powerful about him is that I also am fully assuming that we're going to see why he doesn't have his eyesight in the movie and and that oh, sure. we will all groan about that so just be ready for it you know that's going to probably happen uh and and it's gonna and, and i wish that it wouldn't but you're right the, the the way that they're setting him up is as something that they're trying to explain and trying to give a lot of window into his motivations what i like about the prequel films that we got before 2049 came out especially nexus dawn is that we got these little glimpses into him that still felt very mysterious 
right? We, you know, we saw with the angel when he had the the replicant kill itself. Uh, like that was a little bit of you know sort of backstory for him, but it was still very unclear what his actual motivations were because he was so wonderfully ambiguous. What we're, what we're getting now is the the peeling the peeling away of that beautiful ambivalence that we treasure so much about Blade Runner. That being said, the way to do that right is to introduce more ambivalence to it. So if you're going to give us answers, like 2049 gives us answers about what happened with Deckard and Rachel, for example, right? I think that's a pretty big thing to learn about. The, the way that Villeneuve and, and the rest of the staff did it was they couched it within layers of mystery that we had to unravel for ourselves, right? And they took some, now, I, and I do want to say that I do want to say, that I'm not even being devil's advocate, I'm actually being serious, that halfway through 2049, I was groaning a little bit myself because K was being set up to be this prodigal son, right? So, and we were like, oh, and we, and everybody who sees it the first time is like, oh, I figured it out. Okay. You know, we still have how much more of those movies left. Of course, it's so, it's so magnificent. It's, I'm not saying that it's the same level of quality as Black Lotus is, but it was the same thing where halfway through, we kind of figured the mystery out. Uh, or so we thought. And then it was, you know, well, a continual sense of being surprised from there until the end of the movie about what that memory actually was and why and who was planting it and what the purposes were. So Black Lotus could still do that. We, we still are halfway through this thing. They could still find ways to surprise us. My personal feeling is let's try to look for things, try to give them the benefit of the doubt because you have three titans of animation behind this thing. You have Alcon who also did give us 2049 as well as the original, you know, they have the rights to the original film. You have people who know what they're doing, who are very closely tied with this thing. And I think that it's worth at least trying to give them some benefit of the doubt before we completely write it off. Because if, if you walked out of 2049 after an hour and 20 minutes, would you have been as obsessed with it as you are now? Like, I don't think so. Who knows? Yeah, but I don't think you can compare the first half of 2049 to the first half of Black Lotus. No, and I already said that three times, Jamie. I've already said Uh, numerous times tonight that I'm not saying they're the same level of quality. I'm saying that there's a similar thing where we're watching the beginning of a story. We don't know yet. So that's why I think we should step back a little bit from being so negative about it. Yeah, I I think it's, it's, it's hard. Again, it's hard to walk that line where we're being shown certain aspects by people who really do care and love the Blade Runner story. I mean, we heard Eugene talk about it and I think every bit of that interview was coming from an extremely genuine. And I think, you know, it took a lot of guts, I think at times to show his unabashed love of those shows and I, uh, of the movies. And I believe that probably every writer there feels just as um, interested and invested in the story and I think the way that it's being presented, I think, is in a way, as we saw in a lot of those initial comments that we talked about in that last episode, that there are people who this is the first time they're ever seeing this. And in doing it again, how they chose to do it, I think part of the, again, it's, it's a new way to learn to, to, to consume Blade Runner content, which is these short bursts. And for some of us, it's just not. I can't do it in these short bursts, even with the comics. It's very hard for me, although I love, 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 love origins. It's still hard for me to read one episode and put it down and then wait for another because it's sort of, I'm, you're just getting to me to where I'm in the world. I'm feeling comfort. I'm feeling blanketed by all the emotions. It's all coming and then it's over. And I feel that with these episodes. And I think part of it again is trying to learn how to do it. It's also trying to learn how to pack that much information, feeling, love, everything into the dialogue, which you can't do enough. It's, there's plenty of people who have never seen it. So you have to get that cringeworthy thing where it's like, what's a Blade Runner? I mean, how can that be a line in anything within Blade Runner? That's one first take on it. But then at the second take is, well, you got to do it somewhere because a lot of people coming in, especially I think from the crunchy role in anime world um, who don't know. And so you have to just kind of give that one little description. It's painful to us who it should be in part of ingrained in your very being. It's etched in our bones, like Rachel, what a Blade Runner is and what a replicant is. But for a lot of people watching this show so far, it's not. And so it's a way in, and I welcome all those people to this universe, but 
it's very hard to walk that line. And again, in a, in a franchise, it's even, I hate calling Blade Runner even a franchise because it degrades it a little, I think it, but just bringing it into this universe, into this, our hearts of Blade Runner, it's hard for those of us who have been in it to see it sort of brought down to the most basic yeah level. And that's really hard. Um, I think they're trying, I think there's a lot here. And particularly the memory part is one of my most interesting things. And I think that's something I have to deal with too. I, I feel very protective of Neander being my, one of my favorite characters in 2049. So it's very hard to see this solo treatment of him. Like Patrick said, I love Dr. Staline. I really don't want them to go into or show that she's helping develop this. I agree um, that a lot of places this could go are bad. I think there's a lot of places it could go that are good. And like Patrick said, the fact that right now we're sort of wondering, or at least interested, is a big step forward and a big feather in their cap that, hey, they're capturing the universe. Some of these scenes are so gorgeous. Again, I'm so interested to see um, where Marlowe's character is going to go. I'm interested and invested from very early on in the Davis character, although they haven't done anything with her yet. I really hope they do something. Um, And, you know, again, I, I, this is a monumental task to try and put something like this together. Um, Yeah. I mean, we talk about Nexus Dawn and a lot of those and the one reason they're so wonderful too, is because they're so short. So they weren't tasked with giving us a full story. It's, it's, pretty easy to give us a really cool introduction to Neander. Um, and I won't play that down at all because I lo- that's perfect. I mean, that's an absolute perfect introduction to him, but I don't know. This is just hard. And I think it's hard for us too. And I think it's okay to be hard. And I think this is why we're here to talk about it. You know, and it's fun to talk about it with two of the most passionate Blade Runner fans ever, you know, both Patrick and Jamie. Um, and I think it's okay to have little outbursts of anger towards it and it's okay to say you know what you're treating something that i care about in a way i don't like and i'm i'm here with you but i don't like what you're doing so i don't know i think it's just interesting to sit here and talk about it and uh, number i think the end to this very long rant again sorry everyone is hey at least it's another thing to talk about and we're sitting here and we're talking about it listeners are listening to more about it and it's just more it's more blade runner but they got some work to do and I really hope they, they, they stick with it and stick with the story because I don't know, I don't want to hate this at the end. I don't want to say, okay, we were right on some of these things. I want them to prove us wrong and feel like we have to put our tails between our legs and say, Oh my God, we're sorry. <laughs> and I don't like hate the show at all. I don't hate it. I don't necessarily think it's good, but I don't think it's horrible either. I just think it's middling right now, but I do think that there was some type of someone who, I mean, I know the writer on episode, was it the the woman writer? I can't remember her name right now. Um, was it Elliot? Was it? I can't, I, I don't even want to guess. Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy. Um, there, I don't know if there was a meeting or something happening, but so for the middle, they decided, okay, we need to kind of turn things around now. Or if the writer came in and I, I don't know, but something happened with six and seven where it, there was a big tone shift towards the atmosphere that we know is blade runner. Um, but even in my passion, like I, there are things that I am harshly critical on, on the show and that's not going to change. Even if it sticks the ending, which is very hard to do. That's the thing about writers and creative people. They get a lot of great ideas. They have a lot of great beginnings and they don't know how to finish the story. That's that's just something every a lot of artists struggle with. Uh, I get it. I completely get it. Um, but I, we we discussed even before the show, and even after the first two episodes, the bar for Blade Runner is past our heads. It's past our heads. So that's what we're going in with. So should we have like knocked it down a bit? I don't know. I don't know. I think it was right to go into this expecting the kind of, and I'm not even talking about character, like uh, character. Um, what do you call it? Uh, the way the characters look, I'm not even talking about that. Like that's, 
that's minutia. I mean, it's not minutia, but it is. I'm just talking about level of writing and the level of care of detail. And so when I, when something isn't working, so maybe the storyline or something isn't working for me, then you go into the detail, like, well, what's going on with the details? And you see things like burger and you think, see things like coffee or pizza. And you're like, they didn't even get some of the, the minutia, right? Drug. So then drug, yeah. Uh, or recycle. Um, I think you, I think, and I don't think like these things aren't the end of the world, This, but this, these movies, this IP is some of the most sacred IP you could ever have. So I'm going to get angry when I feel like people haven't been paying attention now to Patrick's point in the next six episodes, could they really write the ship? I don't know if that's actually possible. I'm not saying it's going to fail, but I, I don't know if. It's going to be more than what we're given. I do think I definitely enjoyed the last two episodes way more than the first few. I mean, and I'm picking up on like, for instance, L when she's going into LA, the first two or three episodes, I think it's the first two. She goes by this alleyway. And what does she see in the wall? Do you guys remember what she sees on the wall? Pizza. No, an angel, a woman with wings. Um, and that's like, like she remembers it. And she says, I remember it. And of course, what does Neander call his replicants? Angels. Um, That's again, that's why I really think that she's a love prototype. Um, All the signs are pointing to that, the angel, all that kind of thing. So those things, even though that, even if I think, even if that happens the way that I I imagine it will, I'm interested to see how they're going to do it. I'm interested to see what that last moment, like what her unveiling is going to be. You know, I mean, maybe her unveiling will be, It'll be 2048 and all of a sudden she steps out and there she is in love's clothing. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they won't go that, that heavy handed, but at the same time, they have been pretty heavy handed in some ways and things that are bothering me is the exposition exposition. It is out asking these kind of dumb questions like, oh, what? I don't know. Where should I go? Like tell the story. Don't, don't tell the story, tell the story. You know what I mean? Like you don't, I just don't like that, but maybe, but I also know in the context of anime, I've seen a lot of anime. They do that all over an anime, that kind of exposition, that kind of obvious what's next. You know, that's, that's just, that's what anime does in Blade Runner. It's jarring because we don't usually see that too much. So we'll see. And it felt like for the last two episodes to me that that slowed down quite a bit, which was, which was good. Except for the, again, end of the episode. Yeah, well, the end of the seventh episode sucks. But you know, I mean, and as does a lot of other stuff. So again, I'm not like sitting here defending it. I'm also not saying that they're not going to make those decisions for the second half of the series. All I'm saying is, and I encourage everybody listening too, is to not judge it for things that haven't happened yet, you know, and, and to just give it the respect that I think it deserves, which is that it's still something in progress, you know? So just to kind of like check ourselves on that and to, and that it's completely fine to have issues with decisions that have already been made. I have many, many many issues with a lot of decisions that have been made. But I also am feeling optimistic and I'm surprised by that because of the way that the series has taken an upswing. So I'm kind of, and I apologize for being cranky, but I'm, I'm personally kind of trying to hold on to that optimism a little bit because it feels great right now. But, you know, at the same time, we have the comics, which have been universally beloved and acclaimed and have been, uh, uh, you know, without fail of a really high standard. Um, you know, like award-winning episodic storytelling. And that is addressing the same issue that these are addressing, which is how do you tell Blade Runner, you know, in a way that feels familiar and new at the same time? How do you do it without impinging the original story too much? And how do you do it over an episodic format? Those are those are things that nobody had done until the comic books came out. And they were like, oh yeah, you can really knock this out of the park and tell amazing episodic stories that don't feel overly expositional and don't feel like they're just giving backstories for events in the movies that just sort of kiss the side of the film and then keep going on their own path. Like those moments are really powerful. What worries me a lot about Black Lotus is that it's like full on making out with the original movies at this point. It's not just like a little walk by kiss. It's like, it's like glomming onto it because it's giving us this pretty big expositional buttress for the films. Uh, and again, that bothers me a lot. And hey, if, if, if we get to the final episode and it's still done that, and a lot of these predictions have come true, I will, I will be very overtly angry about it. And, and rightfully so. But what I'm saying is, is as of now, I think it's a good idea to, to not judge it if things haven't happened yet. And then to save that for when they do potentially happen. 
No, I, I, I 100% agree. I, I think the hardest and the most difficult box that they've painted themselves in is putting people and putting original parts of the movies into this series. I think what the comics do so well is it, the movies are over there. We're doing our thing over here. And you're going to find some really interesting themes, um, developments, emotional cues, but we're not going to give you, there's not going to be a cameo of, Hey, Deckard, how you doing? You know, or, or something like that. Um, so I think that that's, that's a difficult part, but I think sort of in, in closing this out, it'd be kind of, it's hard, I think, to figure out what, what are we asking for at the same time? Cause I think that's part of the thing too, is I try to think, okay, I know what I don't want. And that's very easy. Like Patrick said to sort of shit on things and say, I do not, I don't want to see, like I mentioned in the last one, I don't want to see L scratch, you know, Neander's eyes out. I don't want to find out he's got, you know, I don't want to find out what his affliction is. I don't want to find out that, you know, who's manufacturing the memories and just certain, I don't, don't do it, please don't do it. Cause I'm going to forget it on purpose and not watch it again. So I can forget it. But then when I try to think, and I thought maybe a fun exercise would be, but then I thought this wouldn't be fun at all because I don't think we could even do it. Well, what, what do we want to see? And I thought, Oh, maybe we each go around and be like, well, here's something I really want to see this show do, but I don't know what that is. I can't do it. I can't say, Oh, what I want to see is how they, you know, pinpointed the molecular structure of the blah, 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 blah. No, because I don't know. So I'm just as much along for the ride. So to really sort of, I guess, bash someone else for trying to do or show me something, it's hard. So I think that's part of the issue here too, is I don't know what I want from a Blade Runner story other than what I'm seeing in the comics and what I know I don't want. So it's not, so I'll, I'll, I'll just, bear it out there right now that I'm not a good person, I think, in some ways to shit on it because I don't know what I want. I just know that some of what they're doing is not what I want. What I've seen in the comics is what I want. But it's not fair to sort of put all that baggage on a show. And so I'll, that's I'll, say, my I'll say what thought. I want. <laughs> yeah, my, my ending thought, I'll say what I what I want briefly. And then I know we got to wrap because Jamie's got a fun night tonight. Um, my my closing, what I would like this to be is for the Wallace thing to be basically a fake out and for us to for that to have been misdirection all along because there's something else going on with the resistance movement, which is in its very earliest stages, formed by replicants who survived Calantha or Calanthia, and that they are starting this nascent thing and implanting memories, similar to what we saw with Celine, that this is just basically a way to get L, who might have been an escaped combat model from the events on Calantha, who's due to PTSD had issues with her memory that um, she will f- find her way back around to what actually happened. That, that, that would make me happy personally. Yeah. I don't, I don't have any, dis- I don't know what I want either. I mean, not that I, this isn't my story. I didn't write it. So I'm, I just want a good story. Um, but I do think I do. And we talked about this way before black Lotus. I like the idea that they're following a replicant as opposed to a blade runner per se. I think that that's a good, that is a good step. Um, I had some other ideas along those lines, but I, I, I like that. It's not just a blade runner story because honestly, how many of those can we see? And I like that the blade runners are these barely supporting characters. I don't like that. The one blade runner is essentially a Deckard clone in the Deckard apartment with a, totally, uh, a, an alcoholic, just like Deckard. I, I have problems with that. Like they just made another Deckard. Um, but I love that the protagonist is a replicant. I actually like that she's even female too. I think it's it's a good move. Um, so I think that there's some really good, good steps that they made. I just, to your point, Peter, I don't like some things that I'm seeing, and it doesn't feel true to the to the nature of Blade Runner to that kind of somber quality. And this is a much louder show, a lot more fighting. It's a lot longer too. So we got like four movies in this the show when it's all said and done or three and a half movies or something like that. So it's, it's, it's a different, they're playing in a different um, arena. So that's going to be jarring as well. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I don't even know wh- how, where I want it to go. I'm, I'm fine with my prediction. I'm just going to see it if it plays out. Yeah. I think it, you just inspired in me. I think something I'd like, and I think the reason I glommed on so far to the Davis 
Officer Davis character the most is it'd be really interesting. And I know I don't want to start the the deca the deca um, discussion, but to see the perspective from a, just a pure human, perhaps a human who's not a Blade Runner or a replicant who's not a Blade Runner. I, I, I like what you said about that. It'd be interesting to see the life of someone who's stuck in this world, who's not a replicant who apparently can survive and have these sort of adventures in a way. They're not great adventures. You know, Kay's life is not good, but it's different. Or, you know, someone in power, it'd be interesting to sort of see a perspective from just a Joe Schmo. And like, I, I want to see this officer Davis perspective. Hopefully she's not a replicant or some other, you know, modified human or something, but just to see what, how are you navigating this world that's being destroyed being saved by this sort of godlike person who apparently cared enough to save us all, but not enough to help us out of our situation, um, or from these replicants who are either out to destroy us or who we thought would be like, you know, we talked in the first one, our new vacuum or iPod. Um, so I, I hope they do more with her. I hope they sort of show a cool perspective from just a person navigating this world. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Wrapping up this episode, uh, again, we have more to talk about with the show. There's six more episodes. We're interested to hear what you guys think. Um, we'll get to some of those comments when we meet back again to talk about this show specifically. Uh, this is a new year that we're in. When you're hearing this, it's going to be January 4th, 2022. We are now in the 40-year anniversary of the original film. We have a lot in store in terms of a whole series celebrating the anniversary and the legacy of Blade Runner. So there's going to be a lot to talk about. We're going to pivot back into some earlier great conversations in terms of Joy and Kay and the original film and what it means and how it sits with us in, in light of the world, the very difficult world that we live in today. So we have a lot in store. We have an audio drama that is actually going to come out that I've been sitting on for a while, just a short one, like 15 minutes. Um, so yeah, we have a lot, we have a lot in store. Um, we also have a Patreon. Do you want to talk about that, Patrick? I would love to talk about that. So, uh, as we did on our sister show, perfect organism, we wanted to take a little opportunity before we close to just read the names of all of our active patrons, including the ones who are on staff with us. Jamie and I are kind of in this group, you know, unofficially, cause we've been paying out of pocket for years for this stuff, especially Jamie. But, uh, so, you know, you can go ahead and throw our names in here too, but there's a lot of names here that you will recognize many of you listening around here and many of you, uh, you know, are friends with each other. So, uh, this is our crew. These are the people who make it possible. These are the people who made it possible for Peter, who's you know our newest contributing host, to be able to get a mic set up. These are the people who make us not go into debt paying for website fees constantly. These are the people who allow us to do things like live events, which of course we're hoping to get back around to soon. But the hosting fees, the equipment, the ability to book interviews successfully, the ability to travel when we can start doing more of that again is entirely due to the names that you're about to hear. And if you would like to join them and help us out, uh, you can go to bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support or you can just go to patreon.com and search for uh, for Shoulder of Orion. Actually, you'd be searching for Perfect Organism because that's under one account. Um, but that, uh, again, you are the reason we can do this. And you have gotten us to a point where during 2021, during this year, we were able to uh, stop basically overpaying for everything all the time. And we actually were able to start putting money directly from our PayPal account into all of these website fees and these other hosting things that we pay for. And it was it was a liberating moment for me personally and for Jamie. So well, without further ado, here are the names. And if I'm mispronouncing any of these, please tell me and I will fix it. And I apologize in advance. Starting from uh, our most recent, we have Jason Old, Zorglum Glouton, R.E.R. Bunce, Dwayne Namor King, Eric Miller, Kazis Vernellis, Rada Alawash, Brooke Johnson, Maj Potatoes, Christian Matska, Sarah Browns, Josh Cambrian, Kevin, Forrest McKnight, Duncan Scrymore Lewis, Dan Arnott, Richard Blackwell, Joseph Rosner, Doug Freechen, A.T. Johnston, Andy Geek Girl, Douglas McNaught, Fred in the Clouds, Christopher Egan, Matt Bro, Paul Middleton, Priscilla, Jan Herbertson, Kitey, Brooke Nestor, Nuccio, Matt Lowe, Erica Ferlito, Tom Christie, John Ransom, Dave Joyce, Ricky Howell, Kevin, Barry Chicos, Ben Wardinsky, Jason Struess, Gene McDonald, Farmine, Jackie Childers, Stuart Fowether, Dwight Polson, 
Julian Casey, Dave Turner, Jordacious, CL11B, David Holmes, Jonas Holmston, Tim Lawson, Murray Kuchrawi, Reno D, Daniel Purpletree, Chase Kupo, Richard Blackwell, Book Burnett, Burke, sorry, Burke Burnett, Thurian, Rachel Cordy, Nigel Carroll, Richie Ammons, Steve Appleman, Mike Dennis, David Benson, Tim Hazeldean, Ken S, Peter from the Midwest, Alexander Gates, Carla Rosa, Darren Gold, Nathan Gribble, Xander House, Dom, Stephen Bischoff, Craig Wright, and Dan Ferlito, as well as 44 others who uh, are no longer supporting us but have supported us in the past, whom we are also so grateful for. But that list of people is the list of people sustaining the show and giving us just so much uh, of a sense of, of value and, and freedom and excitement. So thank you to everybody. Uh, thank you, Jamie, my dear friend who is currently departing for his uh, engagement tonight. And thank you to Peter for joining again. And uh, happy new year to everybody listening to this. Talk soon. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.